0: my parents forced me to chinese school every sunday for four hours for 10 years and i absolutely hated it but it took me to hong kong i got a job in hong kong because i could read and write never used it in australia because we don't use cantonese but once you get out of that environment and you start to be a little bit more open-minded as to where that language is a skill less related to your identity it becomes such a useful tool My guest today is Natalie Lowe,
1: an Aussie entrepreneur who has built her brand and business in Asia. In 1999, Nat packed her bags with $1,000, bought herself a one-way ticket, and flew to Singapore. She slept on the floor of a friend of a friend's family home for three months before scoring her first job working in the aerospace industry. 20 years on, and she is still in Asia, And has built a thriving business headquartered in shanghai with her husband we talk about nat's struggles with her identity as a global citizen versus the girl growing up in sydney's inner west the importance of communication and never believing failure to be an option and we managed to talk about two iconic pop culture references for millennials welcome to cloud asia where we ask australians to take us on their journey to asia capability by choosing a food, song, movie, and person that captures the essence of their experience to help us understand what Bane and Aussie with Clout is all about. I'm Lucy Doo, and here is Nat Lowe. Hello, Nat. Welcome to Clout Asia. Cool. It's so nice to see you over the screen. It's been so long. A lot has happened in Shanghai, but Today we're talking about your journey to Asia and your continued journey as you sit in Shanghai still. Tell us how you first moved to Asia. When was that and what happened?
0: I was born and raised in Australia. I've always been fascinated with Asia because as a young individual with Hong Kong roots, mm. we watched a lot of Kanto TVB and growing up seeing a lot of like Cantonese karaoke. So I was always very fascinated with what life was like in Hong Kong. I didn't go on my first flight internationally until I was like 19 or 20 and wow. I had enough to yeah. save money. I went to Hong Kong and Singapore with some girlfriends during that period and I was just so blown away as to How advanced they were in technology, how fast paced life was, and just the whole hustle and the bustle of this city life really inspired me to think oh, when I graduate from university, I'm gonna move there. Long story short, fast forward to 1999, I graduated from university. Mm. And without thinking, on the last day of my exams, I booked a one way ticket to Singapore for the 7th of July 1999 and I remember my mother asking me saying oh we're gonna do something something like the next week and I just turned around and said I'm not gonna be here and she said what do you have that's so important and I said to her I'm gonna be in Singapore I bought the one-way ticket to Singapore and I ain't coming back without a job without anything in mind I had a thousand dollars a thousand Australian dollars and I just left
1: Did you know anybody
0: there? Everybody thought I was crazy. I knew a friend who was studying in London and I told him about, oh, I've got this fascination with moving to Singapore, but I don't know how to get there. And he said to me, one of his best friends lives in Singapore. If I'm okay, I could sleep on the floor of his family home. The funny thing is I was looking for a job and I'd been there for a few months, I would say, and I was still sleeping on the floor. I was running really low on cash. It's amazing how much when you're so frugal that a thousand dollars can really go a long way. And I was about to book my ticket for the next week or so. Yes. And this guy's uncle gave me a call as I was thinking I was going to leave and said, hey, my marketing lady just left. Would you be interested in starting next week as a marketing person? I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) And then I got off the phone shaking. I rang my father and said, hey, I'm not coming back. And here I am 20 plus years later from Singapore to Hong Kong to Shanghai and traveled and lived over many different cities. It's just crazy how it's just all become a reality. That's crazy.
1: Before you continue on with your Asia story, you chose for your movie nomination Fight Club, which does have a (laughs) Singapore connection.
0: (laughs) Tell us why that is. I think back in the first year that I moved, everything is so vivid because. I booked a ticket thinking I'm never leaving or never going back. But in my mind, I always had a backup plan thinking, you look, Australia's home. Mm. I can go back anytime. I can find a job. So I always gave a timeline of three months. And so when the opportunity came, I just, cherished every single moment. And one of the favorite movies that I saw was Fight Club in 1999 with one of my best friends in Singapore. And it was during the time when I think I was trying to find myself because clearly I was really out of my element. I felt like an imposter because I graduated from university. I was dealing with CEOs and organizing events and you have this perception of how you see yourself and then of the real you, and then you have the perception of how you want to be perceived. And I always remember that one scene where Edward Norton is coming off the plane and obviously Edward Norton and Brad Pitt meet, but then Ed's got his briefcase and in his like suit. And then you can just see Brad Pitt just jumping in the Ferrari or the Porsche and just driving off. So you always have these two different personas. And I feel like I was very conflicted as to whether I wanted to stay in Singapore and continue this or go home to where I'm more comfortable being myself because I was establishing myself from scratch. I think we always have our own ideas of who we should be, how we perceive ourselves and how other people see us. So constantly reflecting on that is a really good thing. I definitely
1: agree. And how did you feel being an Asian Australian in Asia and now? Almost in Asia, the same number of years, if not more, if you're not counting your first five years of life, then in Australia, how do you navigate that identity?
0: It's very interesting because I've never looked in the mirror and thought I'm Asian. I've always looked in the mirror and thought I'm Australian. And clearly when you see my profile, I'm Asian in ethnicity. And I think it's always been my idea that we are who we are and it doesn't matter about your ethnicity Mm. so growing up in Australia I was always hanging out with a very diverse group of friends I went to a school where there were a minority of Asians but Mm. for me I didn't think that gave me a disadvantage clearly I've been away from Australia for a very long time but I don't feel like my ethnicity changes who I am Even though I've been in Asia for a very long time, I don't feel like it makes me more Asian. I'm able to adjust my personality and learn to be a little bit more respectful compared to my bold and outrageous days when I was growing up. But I think that just comes with experience of dealing with sensitivities during a work situation or during a cultural situation. Whereas before, I may not have had that exposure. Here in China, we have a lot of friends who speak four or five different languages, including Chinese. It's amazing. And if we can get to that point where your looks are not as important as to who you are, I think the world would be a better place. I think in Australia, this was a lot more
1: prominent in the 90s, and I'm talking from personal experience as well. If you're from a migrant family, you almost need to reject your heritage to prove that you're more Australian, which sounds so Mm. silly. And friends of mine, including myself, who'd speak two languages, would pretend not to speak a second language or speak it very poorly because that meant that you were less Australian. And now looking back, I have lots of friends who wish they learned a second language because now they only speak one or speak the other very poorly and they see others well ahead of them in the business world and getting a
0: step up. I was exactly the same. My parents forced me to Chinese school every Sunday for four hours for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely hated it. But it took me to Hong Kong. I got a job in Hong Kong because I could read and write. Yes. Never used it in Australia because we don't use Cantonese. But once you get out of that environment and you start to be a little bit more open minded as to where that languages is a skill, less related to your identity, it becomes such a useful tool. I can certainly relate to what you said, because I was definitely somebody who only spoke English, even though I could understand it, but I would only speak Cantonese to my seniors or to my parents. And now my kids speak three languages, like two Chinese wow. dialects and English, like fluently. And when you see their friends who are blonde hair, blue eyes, they all speak Chinese. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Tell us from Hong Kong, what took you to Shanghai? So I was very lucky in my early 20s to get a really awesome job by a Fortune 30 company. And they took me all over Asia Mm. and transferred me from Singapore to Hong Kong and then from Hong Kong to Shanghai. And when I came to Shanghai, it was because... Hong Kong's budget back in the day in 2007, all the marketing budget was going into China. Mm. And Shanghai was the up and coming place to be. And so I got a transfer and I absolutely loved it here. Everybody, again thought, oh, that's crazy. Why would you go live in China? and You don't even speak the language. You don't have any friends. I'm like, oh, that sounds familiar. I've done that before. Yeah. So what could possibly go wrong? And I came here. I didn't know the language. My boss at the time had flown me up for a weekend to come and scout what Shanghai was, was like. Mm-hmm. And I remember he said to me, Nat, you seem like a smart person, but your Chinese sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and if I hire you, you got to promise me to improve your Chinese. And I said, yep, you got it. And I learned the language in eight months. The bosses that I was working with saw some potential in me. And I've been here for 15 years, since from 2007. So you talk about language and it's something that's quite interesting because I do
1: hear different experiences and different levels of importance that people place on say the Chinese language or a second language. So for you, did you feel like you needed to really work hard to brush up and improve on the Chinese language in order to be competitive in what you were doing rather than saying, hey, I'm Australian, I'm a great marketer, there's
0: other value that I can bring to the business? So I think... I already knew that, otherwise they wouldn't hire me. In terms of communication, it was particularly hard because at the time, no one spoke English. So I was dealing with, I remember my clients who were Chinese sit at an enterprise joint ventures, a four hour meeting, speaking full on Chinese. And I'm sitting there going, what are these people talking about? And I think it's one of those things where you feel stupid, right? People are laughing, people are talking, you can't even like order food without Mm. getting some translation. And that really motivated me to be better so that I can talk to my colleagues, that I could just be independent because I did feel like Mm. if I don't scratch it up soon, it's either sink or swim. And I felt like I was going to sink. So I was very, very lucky to have a lot of colleagues around me support me. I can read and write fan ti which is mm-hmm. traditional Cantonese. So Mandarin, simplified Chinese, is my third language. So I went in to my colleague and I said, I want to learn a sentence a day. And I'm going to tell you what I want to learn. Mm-hmm. So I went in, I wrote in the sentence and he wrote the pinyin and then he wrote the jian ti He was so yes. patient with me. And that's how I learned. I learned every day. And then I listened to the news, didn't know what they were saying, but it was very in hua And then just immersed myself eight hours a day, talking as much Chinese as possible, listening to as much as possible. So I can at least start being independent because communication is key. It doesn't matter what role you're in, what country you're in. If you don't communicate, you can't make things happen. Absolutely agree.
1: Tell us a bit about your
0: company now and what you've built? Yeah, I'm glad to. So we, my husband and I, who's my business partner, started the Orange Blowfish in Mm. 2012. And it was during a time when he was going through some personal, I would say, reflection about what he wanted to be and his life. And it was during the time when we were at Habitat for Humanity International in Cambodia, building homes for families who had lost their homes, but were still able to find happiness, that he realized that the life that he was having wasn't what he wanted. He was a headhunter, he made decent money. And it was during that time he decided that he knew in his heart that he wanted to be a graffiti artist. So he had come back from that trip, I think in June he quit his job in October and we had decided, okay, let's do this. Go live your life. You only get one shot. You only have one life. What's the worst that can happen? We just got married. We didn't have any kids. I'm like, if you don't do it now, like, when are you going to do it? He started the Orange Bluefish from our home study and I went back to corporate work just to make sure that we were able to sustain a living. And from not knowing how to design, not knowing how to graffiti, he self-taught himself Got his first job at a cafe in Taekung Road, one of the famous Australian coffee shops back in the day, Mm -hmm. and did the whole mural on his own, designed it from scratch. And wow, it was just like, what talent? And then from one project to another, and within the first year or two, he had already been commissioned 2,000 personal and client projects. And then that's when we started getting a name for the Orange Flowfish. And the first project that put us on the map was Liquid Laundry. So for those who don't know Liquid Laundry, it was the first gastro pub here in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. And the entire group was bought out by AB Inbev. And we had done the branding, the wall graphics, working on the consumer touch points with the marketing for this particular brand. And that's when things started picking up. But again, it was one of those things where we thought it's just for fun. What's the worst that could happen? We might yeah. just do it for two years and pack up and leave. And from one person in our study to two to five, and here we are, global team working branding and spatial design.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Have you always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit in you? Maybe it's a good time to mention your person of clout nomination.
0: So I think. My family has a DNA of entrepreneurship. So my great grandfather, my grandfather, my dad, they all set up their own businesses, was successful at one point, went through challenges, ups and downs. And so I've always been quite interested in entrepreneurship, even though I didn't really know what it meant. Mm. And I thought it was really cool just to run your own business until I ran my own business. (laughs) <laughs> and realize it's harder work than getting a paycheck. It was just one of those things where I've always dreamed about doing what I love and not just doing it for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. After so many years, I can say that I do what I love. I have a really amazing team. We have amazing clients and we've built a culture around that. Like it's a lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. And that to me has been really, really important.
1: And how has, Your father, who's your nomination for Person of Clout, helped in that journey?
0: My father has never had an easy journey in life, but he's always been the happiest person in the room. He's always been the person that looks on the bright side, and he will always have a smile on the face, even though he might be the saddest person in the room at that moment. He would always somehow find the positive side in life. And I think. Mm. As an entrepreneur, you need that. As a leader, you need that positive energy. He's always been able to cheer me up. He's just been amazing in that regard. And that's really helped shape who I am. He's always been a great influence, very positive influence in my life of the decisions that I make is do what makes you happy. And if you don't find happiness, try and find happiness in making other people smile. You've been running a business now for over 10
1: years. What are some of the I guess, advice or mantras that you live by when it comes to building and growing your own business and entrepreneurship?
0: I would say it's always been my motto in life that failure is not an option or even what is failure. Because every time you seem to fumble, that is just a growth spot for you to continue being better. I've never believed that There's nothing that you can't do. It's managing your expectations as to what you want to do and what you can do. We've been very lucky to still be here after COVID, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. We're an independent agency. We're quite small and boutique in the grand scheme of things. Yet we grew from five to 20 people over the last three years and solely on China business. So for me, it's like I'm just blown away. And I think a part of it is... We're lucky that we're blessed that people support us, but that come with hard work. I mean, all the years that we created a reputation for ourselves and our team, there's nothing such as a free lunch. So I think always continue with your personal growth, your professional growth. Be nice to everyone that you meet because you never know what may come around. And as long as you do yourself good, as long as you can sleep at night, and think that, you know, did a great day today, then you just got to wake up and do it again tomorrow. Continue and climb that step ladder to get to the next joint. Just don't give up.
1: Coffee plays a big part to give you a great start to the day. Is that right?
0: Well, with two kids, man, and then a business, I need something that will wake me up. Yeah, so I have to have three double espressos before I leave. And that my double espresso starts at six. 15 in the morning. Okay. So, very
1: early. So, for those of you listening, Nat has decided to forego a food nomination and has instead nominated double espresso coffees as her drink of
0: choice. (laughs) Yes. Keeps you going.
1: I want to actually ask you about Asia and the opportunities as it relates to your business and maybe more broadly as you see entrepreneurs and business owners operating in Asia who aren't Asian you're Australian your husband is English Hong Kong Mm -hmm. how does Asia present opportunities compared with say Australia for you that's a good
0: question because I find it quite challenging to answer that from an Australian perspective because as you heard my story when I graduated I was already in Singapore so my entire career has been in Asia.
1: Yeah.
0: I went back to Australia for maybe a year or so. I didn't really enjoy it. It wasn't because of my ethnicity or anything. I just thought the work was quite mundane. So for me, it's very hard to speak about what career opportunities are in Australia. Mm. Every time I moved to a new place or when I got a new role, adapted to market needs. And I'm still doing that today as a business owner, because every time there's a different stage in the business, you've got to be two steps ahead in order to see the change or the trends and be quicker in the market. So I've always seen an opportunity every one or two years to look at what is a skill set that the market is lacking, mm. that we can feel or I can feel. So I was very fortunate enough, for example, back in the 90s to see Singapore and Asia as an opportunity. When I moved to Singapore, I was there for 46 years and then I saw Hong Kong as an opportunity. And then I saw Shanghai. For anybody who is looking at that next change in Korea, don't be afraid to push boundaries. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to continue upscaling yourself and being ahead of competition. It doesn't matter if you're Asian. I think if you are Asian and you speak the language here, that absolutely gives you a starting point specifically in China because right now you must speak Chinese and read Chinese in order to be ahead. But what is interesting is now there's a high demand of Chinese returnees for the Chinese market. So I think if you are Asian, Australian, and you have that capacity to adapt to a local culture, I think you're at an advantage because we need people who can bridge the gap, the cultural gap between Western and Chinese businesses, which is really lacking. And it's more, how do you adapt your business to a local market in order to succeed?
1: great advice and in our pre-show notes you mentioned that you do a lot in the mentoring space and giving back to the next generation I see you as someone who is quite inspiring to me for sure what are some things that you're sharing with the next gen and
0: young women in particular I think the next generation of leaders have their head on their shoulders. I'm learning from them. For the mentoring that I do, and I mentor with Shanghai Women Mentor Walks, I mentor with UNSW, and a lot of it is, how do you find your own voice? How do you ask for that pay rise? Why am I given the job, but I'm not given the title, or I'm not given the pay rise, or my counterparty is getting 30% more? I've been very lucky from a young age to work in a male-dominated industry. I worked in aerospace for a very long time. And I always had a lot of senior team members and executives actually coach me on this. I didn't realize that this was something that was common for all women. I thought it was just me. And I was very lucky to have a male's point of view to say, you deserve this and you got to go get it. And I think it's quite interesting because there wasn't any women mentor when I was growing up. I didn't have another woman boss who I could talk to because they were all men. So I think I wouldn't be here today if I didn't get all the lovely advice from my coworkers. And even today, I'm constantly ringing up my friends who are many, many steps ahead of me asking, what should I do? Now, when I, having gone through that myself, I thought, gosh, maybe there are people out there who need this type of advice. So I'm a big believer in paying forward. And if we can all help each other as a community, we will just get better together. That's what I believe
1: in. Definitely. And to wrap up our conversation, we have one final nomination, which I've been saving for today, which is your song nomination. What have you picked for us?
0: <laughs> it's called lose yourself by eminem and i will not know <laughs> it for you but i promise you before my next birthday i'll be back on the show and i'll wrap it
1: <laughs>
0: absolutely i
1: think for anyone who has any memory of this song being released it has very very strong emotions attached to it
0: um, why is it special to you I think just reading the lyrics and also listening to the song, it makes us think that we really just have one shot in life. We really own it. And no matter what other people think, we've got it. We've just got to be able to understand that failure is not an option. And whatever it is, you just got to go for it. And I think for me, I've always been like that in my life. I've never Said no to a lot of things like sleeping on the floor in Singapore. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't be here today. So there's a lot of these kind of serendipity moments and risks that I've taken because the opportunity only comes once. Would you prefer to go for it and think, oh, that was a really bad idea? Or do you sit there with regret and think, I should have done that? So I think just go for it. What's the worst that can happen? Nothing. You might take a few steps back and just pick yourself up again. But don't miss your chance there's only one opportunity for everything and they can happen let's have a listen snap back to reality oh there goes gravity oh there goes gravity choke he's so mad but he won't give up daddies he knows he won't have it he knows his whole back these ropes it don't matter he's cold. he knows that but he's pro he's so stagnant he knows when he goes back to this mobile home that's when it's back to the lab again yo this old rap better go capture this moment and hope it don't moment you better never let it go. Only one shot, not miss chance to blow. This opportunity once in a lifetime. you
1: Thank you so much, Nat. This has been a very enjoyable conversation for me. I really Thank you. your story and very happy that we got to fit in some M&M on this show. Look forward to following you on your journey and keep tabs on you continuing to build your Asia capability.
0: Thank you. Your pleasure. And I hope to see you later this year in person. Absolutely.
1: Don't forget, you can subscribe to Clout Asia on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and LinkedIn as Clout Asia. Thank you for listening. See you next
0: time.